0: Today's scripture reading is John 13 verses 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he had said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me, and whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Well, I have an, I have an app on my phone and it's called BILT, B-I-L-T. And what it is, it contains um, these 3D interactive video instruction manuals for all the many products that you and I may buy, and we commonly buy, that we have to assemble. It contains videos for, for examples of things like barbecue grills and cabinets and, and tables and, and toilets, and many other products that you and I buy. This app provides for us this 3D video instructions, and it's it's right on my phone. And I remember the first time that that I used it. I was putting a ceiling fan up in my house. I had never put up a ceiling fan in the house before. I'd done a lot of things, but I don't fool with electricity. So I never put up a ceiling fan before, but I got this app, and I looked it up on this app, and there it was. And I went to put this ceiling fan up for the first time. And with this 3D visual, I knocked that job out like a professional. (laughs) If you came to my house and saw that ceiling fan, you think Pastor Phil put it up. (laughs) But yours truly did it with the help of Built, with the help of this visual aid. It's just another reminder, I think, that we live in this um, visual interactive age, don't we? seems like everything we do is on our phones, is, is on our pads, is on our screens. It seems like we can't get by without them. We wonder how we ever did. How did we ever find our way before we had GPS and map apps? How did we ever know how to cook anything or fix anything before YouTube? It's amazing to me. I wonder, sometimes wonder, were there ever gains before video? But this is where we live, and I understand it, beloved, because it is true. It is true. It has always been true. A picture or a video is better than a thousand words. I might have never got that light up right, reading those manuals, reading that manual. But I knocked it out with that video. But this is nothing new. Pictures have always been worth a thousand words. Love it? Always, always. Actions always, have always spoken louder than words. And no one understood this more better than Jesus. And in John chapter 13, we see Jesus not giving just a word lesson, but Jesus gives a picture lesson. A picture lesson of what it means To be a disciple of Christ, a picture lesson of what his disciples must come to understand and what they must embrace. This was a lesson in who they were and what they would necessarily have to be in Christ. Namely... Servants, servants of the love of God. What marks out the community of faith? Really. What marks out the community of those who profess faith in Christ? One word. Love. Love. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Really, three. what does it boil down to? Love. Love. What is the greatest expression of divine virtue? Love. What is the distinguishing sign of Christianity? Yeah, you guessed it. Love. And this is what Jesus says in verse 35, right? This is how he sums it all up to his disciples. In verse 35 of John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you do what? Love one another love one and this 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 right here is what Jesus is going to focus his attention on as he gathers with his disciples as John chapter 13 opens up now John chapter 13 beloved understand John chapter 13 is not the first time that Jesus spoke about love he's spoken about love throughout his time and ministry amongst his disciples and the, and the people and the necessity of love was often expressed by our Lord. The topic of love was a frequent topic. And so it would be again, as he gathers with his disciples for this final time, as he gathers with his disciples to share a meal with him for the last time before, they, before he would die Jesus, however, this time didn't just talk about love. He showed them. This is the point. He's pulling out the video. He's showing them a picture. Notice what the Bible says in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples deeply. There can be no question about that. He loved them with an everlasting love. His walk with them over the past several years was an exercise in his love and affection for them. His love was comprehensive. His love was complete. His love was holy. It was a love without end, encompassing all they would need. This is what he was showing them. All that you need is found in the love that I have shown and am going to show you. That will be all you need to fulfill this mission I'm putting you on is to remember that I love you, that I love you. And what is love, beloved? What dare I say that most of us can give some idea if I was to take a poll this morning and ask the question... What love is, I have no doubt that most of us in here would give some type of adequate definition. Most of it would be based upon our experiences and therefore we would be able to relate some experience of love and therefore define it by that this morning. And I dare say also that most of us would probably define it in terms of our own personal sentimental affectionate feeling of some experience we've had in our lives, either with a thing or a person. We'd probably start talking about some movie we saw. Or we'd we'd mention some songs or novels or poems We begin to talk about the sentiments that we felt and the emotions we experienced at any given time with any given person or event. But the funny thing is, about most of our definitions of love, is that we come also to realize that sentiments change. Emotions fluctuate. Feelings are fickle. What we love today, we separate and divorce from tomorrow. We love the Braves today. (laughs) By next week, we'll probably be divorcing the Braves. (laughs) Maybe not. We love the Falcons. Well, maybe not. (laughs) And so if we are honest... The love as the world understands it is a love, think about it, is a love that often raises as many questions as it answers. That's why, listen to the songs that we sing. That's why Tina Turner could ask the question, What's love got to do with it? Because the love of the world raises as many questions as it answers. That's why a foreigner could sing, I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me. Well, beloved, if you want to know what love got to do with it, and if you want to know what love is this morning, then I want to invite you not just to listen to Jesus, I want to invite you to look, to look at Jesus this morning. For the love of Jesus answers these questions. For the love of Christ is the love of God demonstrated. Demonstrated. And chapter 13 opens, you know, it tells us that Jesus had left the crowds behind. He was done with his public ministry, and now he had entered into Jerusalem with his disciples to celebrate Passover for the final time. This would be the last Passover that they would celebrate together, and in fact, Passover now would never be the same. And they gathered together in this upper room for what would become the Last Supper. This is the picture. Jesus in the upper room with his disciples about to have what we have come to know as the Last Supper. And here Jesus would introduce the elements of the new covenant. Here he would remind us, show them the significance of the bread broken. He would show them the significance of the wine and how the bread represented his body and the wine represented his, his, his shed blood. This was an important and significant time when Jesus would give to the church these beautiful, beautiful pictures of what it means to be the recipients of his love and grace. But before the bread was broken and before the wine was served, before the meal, the Bible says that Jesus without words Without words, demonstrated love with which he had loved them and called them to love. Jesus here would teach his disciples that love is demonstrated. Love is demonstrated. It is not just written in a letter. It is not just sent in a text. But love is demonstrated. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates, God demonstrates his love, His his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This, this, beloved, is the inexplicable and unexpected love of God. Inexplicable. Unexpected. While you're still sinners, while you're still unaware of your need, God demonstrates love. And when Jesus got up from that table... Inexplicable. Unexplainable. Demonstrated. The love of God. Look at verse 4. So he got up from the table. Without a word. He got up from the table. Took off his robe wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then began to wash the disciples' feet and drying them with the towel he had around him. Beloved, when Jesus got up from the table... The first thing that was said was, Where is he going? Then, when he, wrapped, when he took off his robe and he wrapped the tile around himself, and when he picked up the basin, the next question was, What is he doing? Beloved, there is no doubt everyone in the room was shocked. Shocked. But the basin and the towel was the tools of servants in service to masters. And don't miss this, nobody there expected to see the basin or the towel being used today. No sir, no sir, gathering in the upper room, the disciples looked around and they could see they had a table, they had bread. They had wine. They didn't have any servants. Or so they thought. Jesus. Or so they thought. It reminded me, it reminds me, beloved, of Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain in Genesis chapter 22 and they and they get there, and Abraham is about to bind Isaac for sacrifice, and verse 7 of 22 Isaac looks around and he says, Father, we have a fire, we have wood, but where's the lamb? I don't see a lamb. And Abraham looks at his son in verse 8 and he says, God himself will provide a lamb. Beloved, when the disciples looked around and they said, we got bread, we got wine, we're at the table, but where are the servants? And Jesus gets up and says, God himself will provide the service. God would provide himself the servant. Washing feet, beloved, was a menial task. I mean, no one, no one willingly took up that task. And unless you do pedicures, and unless you are in nursing today, how many of us this morning has washed somebody else's feet It's a task, beloved. Washing feet today with shoes and socks on is not very appealing. I can't even imagine in Jesus' day where there were no socks and there were no shoes as we have them today. There was only sandals. And if you didn't have sandals, you walked barefooted through the dirt, through the grime. And who knows what else you would be walking on with your feet all day walking. No one, no one wanted to watch feet. No one volunteered for this. It was something a person was compelled to do because it was their place. It was something a person was compelled to do because it was their position in the home. You were a slave. You were a servant. And therefore, this is what you did. Jesus, beloved, therefore, was not in any way Obligated to wash the disciples' feet. And yet the Bible says that he willingly and lovingly took up the basin and the towel. No one asked him to humble himself. But the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8 that Christ emptied himself by doing what? Taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ humbled himself. Why? Because this is what love does. Because this, beloved, is what love does. Christ laid aside his glory. Because this is what love does. Christ took off his robe. Because this is what love does. Christ took human form and humbled himself and became a servant, because this is what love does. Christ picked up the basin, and he wrapped himself in a towel, because this is what love does. You want to know what love is this morning? You want me to show you? And Jesus says, Love serves, love sacrifices, and love sanctifies. Let me show you what love is. Love serves. Love, beloved, is esteeming others more important than yourself. And when, when Jesus took up the basin, when Jesus took up the towel, he took up love. When Jesus bent down to wash the disciples' feet, love bent down. And that became the posture of love. That is the posture of love. And he demonstrated what he had taught them before. And that is love is not being served, love is serving. We tend to think, and, and rightly so, that our generation is the most selfish of generations. And it is, it is to a certain degree, beloveds, we live in a me generation. But I got news for you the world has always been a selfish place. Human beings have always looked out for number one. And Jesus' time was no different. The disciples knew what the situation was, they've been here before. They were there in Simon's house when the woman comes in and washes Jesus' feet. They were there in the last chapter when Mary comes in and washes Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. How many times had they been in somebody's house for a meal and somebody came along and washed their feet? They know what time it is. They know what you're supposed to do. We always know what to do, beloved. We always know what we're supposed to do. We always do. We know the trash needs to be taken out. We just walk right by it. You know what's supposed to be done. The dish has been sitting in the sink all day. Everybody sees it. You know what you're supposed to do. The car car hasn't been cleaned out in two weeks and everybody's driving, everybody's riding. You know what we are supposed to do. I used to work in a restaurant when I was fresh out of high school. Little small restaurant, one bathroom. Everybody used it. And every time you go in the bathroom, you're like, ooh, somebody need to clean this up. It was a mess. Everybody knew what needed to be done. The disciples knew what needed to be done. But they were not going to wash each other's feet. They were not even going to wash Jesus' feet. Why? Because what would the others think about me? I have a reputation to uphold here. I am not getting my hands dirty with that. Question, beloved. Then what is love? Jesus says love is serving. Love is bending down. It was Jesus. This is so important. It was Jesus on that day. Who was going to demonstrate what love is? Why? Because, beloved, love doesn't wait. Love doesn't wait. This is love, the Bible says. First John chapter 4 and verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Love is what Jesus came to do. Why? Because God's love doesn't wait. God didn't wait for us to love him before he loved us. God loves first. Jesus loves first. And this is what love does. This is what love does, beloved. How and how can he do this? How can he show such love? Well, the same reason you and I can. Because he was confident of the love of God. He was confident of the love of God. Notice the confidence with which he served here. In verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, That became the confidence with which he picked up the basin and the towel. That Jesus was confident in the Father's love, and therefore, he could freely serve and love others. He knew who he was in God the Father, and therefore, he was not concerned what others thought about him. And he could freely serve. He could wash feet because he was confident in who he was in God. Beloved, there is a confidence in Christ that frees you to love and to serve others. I can sweep the floor because I know who I am in Christ. I can take out the garbage because I know who I am in Christ. I can clean the toilets. Because I know who I am in Christ. And when you have this confidence in Christ, service comes easy. Service comes easy. Because it's not what others think. It's what God thinks. It's not others' opinions that matter. It's God's opinion. It's not what others say. It's what Jesus says. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Such is the confidence we have through Christ, through God. Not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We are not looking to ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God. Love serves, and it serves with confidence because Christ, Christ first loved us. But love doesn't only serve, beloved. Love sacrifices too. When we talk about the love of God, We have to start with the fact that the love of God gives. God loves, and therefore, God gives. And when God gives, he doesn't just give. God gives sacrificially. Okay, He gives till it counts. He gives till it costs John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son God doesn't just give but he reminds us in love that true love costs true love sacrifices and notice notice the cost of what Jesus does. Notice the cause. And not only did Jesus humbly serve his disciples, but he stooped down to love and serve his enemies as well. Among those whose feet were washed that day was one named Judas, Iscariot. We all know his name. We all are familiar with him, for he is never mentioned in the Bible, but that he is that we are reminded that he is the one who betrayed Jesus. And three times, three times in these first 20 verses, Judas is mentioned. In verse 2, he is mentioned as being one seated at the table. In verse 11, he is mentioned as amongst those who Jesus has washed their feet. And in verse 18, he is mentioned as one of those who broke bread and ate with Jesus. Here, beloved, here, Jesus was demonstrating the depth of love, the love that he had taught On many occasions, Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, that love is this, loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you. This reminds us this morning that love is risky. Love is costly. Love, beloved, is being willing to love those who at times don't love back. They don't love back. There is no guarantee that those you serve will become your friends. But you know what the Bible says, love anyway. Serve anyway, why? Because, beloved, we don't love to be loved. We love because we are loved. We don't love to be loved. We love because we are loved. We are loved. God so loved the world that he gave. The world God loved spit on his gift of Jesus. The world that God loved mocked and crucified his son. The world that God loved betrayed Jesus Christ. And yet that, knowing all that, experiencing all that, Jesus didn't stop loving. It didn't stop Jesus picking up the towel and the basin. It didn't stop Jesus going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world. Beloved, I get it. One of the most difficult things that we ever do in life is love those who don't return love back. But again, if we define love as having to receive love in return, then we are defining love as the world defines love. And what we are doing there is raising more questions than answering. But Jesus answers questions because he reminds us And we don't love to be loved. We love because we are loved. This is what Jesus did. And you know what he says in verse 15? This is what Jesus calls us to do as well. How do you know this is the love of God? Because that which sacrifices inevitably and necessarily sanctifies, sanctifies. How do you know the love of God? What is the evidence that God's love is being shared? Well, the love of God sanctifies. What I mean by that? The love of God makes better. It makes better. When Peter saw what Jesus was doing, when Jesus approached Peter, Peter, no doubt, wasn't the first one, but he saw Jesus coming. And when Peter saw what Jesus was doing, Peter said, hold up. Hold up, Lord. Are you going to wash my feet? Verse 6. And then in verse 8, Peter says, no, 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 no. You are not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Listen, beloved, there is no doubt this love that Jesus was demonstrating, this service that Jesus offered to the disciples and ultimately to Peter, put Peter to shame. When Jesus was bowing down at Peter's feet, Peter understood himself as unworthy. And who wouldn't, beloved? Who wouldn't? But you understand that is the point. Jesus understood what Peter didn't understand. And that is that this is exactly what Peter needs. This is what you need, Peter. You need for the love of God to look beyond your faults. You need for the love of God to look beyond your failures and see your need. You don't understand that right now, but you will. This is what you need, Peter. You need me to do this. And when Peter heard him say, You need me to do this, what does Peter say? Verse 9. Oh, and if that's the case, if I need you to wash me, if I need to, for you to wash me, for, you to, for me to know you and for, to love you, then, Lord, wash me. But don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Wash me all over. Cleanse me through and through. Listen, beloved, this, this, this is the sanctifying power of the love of God. It's what the love of God does. The love of God saves. It is also the love of God that sanctifies. It meets needs. It makes better. It makes better. How do you know that the love is from God? The only way to know is that the love makes you better. Any love that comes into your life, just ask the question, Is it making me better? Does it make you a better Christian? If you were to embrace it, would it make you a better Christian? Is it going to make you a better friend? Is it going to make you a better person? When you meet a person, how do you know that love is from God? Listen, young ladies. Ladies. You know it because that love is going to make you better, better. This is the point. It's what Jesus is pointing to. In fact, beloved, this is the point of Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter 5, isn't that right, Brother Brown? Chapter 5 and verse 25, husbands should love their wives to do what? As to make their wives better. That's the point. You love your wife as to make her better. Why? Because this is what Jesus does. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to do what? To make her better. To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with the word, with with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Christ loves us so as to make us better. That's what the love of God does. That's what the love of God does. It makes us better. The love of God makes us more like Jesus. That is the point. That is the point. And if that's the case, then understand that we are like Peter. We need cleansing every day. We need the love of God every day, not just to be saved, beloved, but I need the love of God to stay saved. That's the only way. That's the only way I stay in Christ. I get into Christ because he loves me. I stay in Christ because he keeps loving me. And this is the cry of the heart. This is the cry of the heart of all those who have been touched by the love of God. Peter, when Jesus touched him, Peter said, Lord, wash me. Wash me. When David fell into sin, he comes to the Lord in Psalm 51 and verse 7, and he says, God, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. This is the identity, beloved. This is the identity of the redeemed throughout all the ages. Who are the redeemed in heaven? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14, they are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Washed, washed, washed. And if Peter was here this morning, if Peter was here this morning, he would not ask you what's love got to do with it. He knows that. He would ask you the question, have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul cleansing blood of the lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Beloved, that's the power of love. That's the power of love. That's the cleansing power of love. That's the saving power of love. That's the sanctifying power of love. That's the satisfying power of love. I don't know what Huey Lewis and the news were talking about, but I understand when they say that you don't need money. And you don't need fame. And you don't need no credit card to ride this train. But that is indeed the power, the power of love. Long, long, long before Huey Lewis and the News ever thought about it. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1, the Lord says, Come. Come, come, everyone, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and who has no money. Come, come, buy wine, buy milk without money, without price, because you don't need no money and you don't need no fame and you don't need no credit card to ride this train. That's the power of love. That's the power of love. And God says, you just come. You just come. You just come. Come, let us reason together. Isaiah says in verse 16 of chapter 1, come, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, beloved, they shall become wood. That's the power of love. That's the power of love. That's the saving power of love. That's the sanctifying power of love. That's the satisfying power of love. That's the power of love this morning. That's the power of love. Can you feel it? It's the power of love this morning. And that is the love. With which he has loved us. That's the power of love. Let's pray.